Hello and welcome to episode 208 of the N Focus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and we are joined by our regular co-host this week, Sylvia Wassenaar. Hello, Sylvia. Hello, hello. Hey, Rosalie is off this week, but so it will just be the two of us. Uh, so let's jump in with what we played this week. So Sylvia has been playing Overwatch 2 in its new free-to-play launch form uh, just come out in this past week. I think it was the past week. Uh, Sylvia, why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? For full context, I was a huge Overwatch 1 fan. I think I had uh, about 500 hours plugged into it, all on PC, but nice. still. Oh, less nice. <laughs> I fell off it eventually, just, you know, that tends to happen with multiplayer games. You just kind of stop playing it at some point. You might pick it up again later, but there's always like a lull in how much mm. play it. But during my lull, all of the stuff about Blizzard, all the controversy, not going to bore people about that. Google it if you want to know. But basically that turned me off Blizzard entirely. That pretty much just killed the game for me. But sheer curiosity just brought me back to this. It was It's free to play, so I don't have to give them any money. Uh, I still really enjoy the world building of Overwatch. Uh, there's a lot of flaws in it, like a lot of the <laughs> cultures represented in the game aren't really sensitive or considerate. Well, there are some that are, they're they're just like stereotypes, but then there are others that they seem pretty good. Like May, I would not describe as a Chinese stereotype at all. Yeah, some of them are pretty good. I, I'll talk about the Australian representation because I'm from Australia, so this is the one I'm most qualified to talk about. The the Mad Max inspiration? It's just Mad Max. But if yeah. you dig a little deeper into it, it's actually a little bit awful. Um, if you know anything about Australian history, uh, we have Indigenous peoples here. The British came over and just did a lot of awful things to them. Obviously, colonialism, the obvious thing that they did was steal the land. Anyway. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Roadhog also doubles as a Maori representation, doesn't he? Yeah, but he has an American accent, so it's just like a really... It feels <laughs> like they just came up with it. I don't so know. So I'm right, but I'm wrong. Yeah. The world building around it is that uh, Overwatch lore has these things called Omniums that build Omnics, which are just like sentient robots... Uh, there was a big war with them, and they all became self-aware. And when the war ended, the Australian government gifted the land that the Omnian was in Australia to the Omnics, which displaced a lot of people in the Australian outback. And, and the reason it's Mad Max is that these displaced people were like, hey, you stole our land, and that just seems really tone-deaf. Because uh, all of the characters... So far, I mean, I'm not entirely sure about Jonker Queen. A lot of the other characters that they've shown in, like, the cinematics and world building, they're all white. Like, they don't know anything about what they're trying to represent. And it just irks me. I, I feel like there's a lot of examples of this. Like, Lucio's meant to be, I, I believe, I want to say Brazilian? Yeah. But he had a lot of, like, Canadian influence at first. Uh, he didn't speak a lick of um, Portuguese. 
until they updated it later on when people called them out for it. It just feels like a whole bunch of eager ideas and perhaps good intentions that just weren't thought out and that doesn't seem like they really reached out to the people of these cultures to get it right. But that's just more on the characterization side. In terms of gameplay, if you've played Overwatch 1, you've played Overwatch 2. Uh, the same maps are back. Uh, the same characters are back. I think there's three new ones out of 35. I think there's one new game type when it kind of plays like uh, a tug of war where there's a robot that pushes a boundary and whoever's, you know, got control of the robot, the robot will go and push that team's boundary and not the other one. It really just reminds me of um, Payload and TF2. Yeah, and Overwatch already had a Payload mode, so I, I'm not really understanding what the difference is. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is just that either team can push that Payload either way. Um, and it's more of a, like a checkpoint thing. It, it, it feels more like tower control in Splatoon than it does payload, I guess, but still. Right. It's a subtle difference. I don't really. Um, the, the teams, they're now down from six to five. Uh, during my time away from Overwatch, they added this thing called roll queue so that you could select a role before you started mm -hmm. matchmaking and you were locked into characters of that role for the match that you get matched into which is how i always played it anyway yeah so. <laughs> but the way that they had it was two uh, um, correct me if i'm wrong but i believe it was two of each type two tanks two support and two damage dealers it being blizzard they're constantly updating the metagame but i think at some point it was set up that way yeah well now it's the same but with only one tank and they've made tanks really powerful to compensate for that. That's interesting because uh, Overwatch's constant balance problem has been their tanks. They've always been either too strong or not strong enough. <laughs> well, the um, the damage characters don't feel like they do a lot of damage anymore. So I don't know if mm -hmm. they've been tuned down or if tanks have been tuned up. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like you're making an impact at all. Well, if there's only one tank, I would really expect that tank to be pretty beefy. Pretty beefy. You need the, the support on them as well, though. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the problem that I had, though, was there's another playlist where there's no uh, role restrictions. If you go in there and everyone goes tank, it's unbalanced. <laughs> At the end of the day, like it just doesn't feel like there's any substantial content to call it overwatch 2 it's, well there was supposed to be <laughs> yeah I, I know the whole story of the development of this a lot of lead developers left during development um jeff kaplan comes to mind that definitely affects a project and you can really just feel it in this one like it doesn't even feel like a new lick of paint over an old game it, it really just feels like an expansion and not even a, <laughs> a good one <laughs> It probably would have been better off being an expansion or even just the free-to-play relaunch. Like Overwatch 2 always felt like an executive mandate from Activision because, you know, sequels mm. make the chart go up. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure that like, happened with I... Destiny 2 as well. 
Yeah, I was about to say Destiny 2. Like, there was no reason to release a, De a Destiny 2. The first game was already an online service platform. They called it an MMO. It wasn't. I No need to get into that now, but Destiny is not an MMO. If you think it is, you don't know what an MMO is. <laughs> there was really no reason they couldn't just release as an expansion, like as Destiny 2 has received many expansions at this point. There was no reason Destiny couldn't have been the same thing, but, you know, sequel, make the chart go up, so we need sequel. Yeah. Destiny 2, please. <laughs> it really does so feel stupid. like that, which, which is funny that it's a free-to-play. Like, maybe not, don't call it Overwatch 2, call it, like, Overwatch subtitle. I don't know. But calling it Overwatch 2 was really disingenuous. And it, it was also supposed to launch, Overwatch 2 was supposed to launch with um, cooperative versus, like, enemy wave story missions that actually tie the game into... The Overwatch world as they've built it in the YouTube shorts because like the two halves of the world like you know the game and the YouTube stuff and the comic books and the novels and all that they've never really had anything to do with each other <laughs> yeah well I mean for almost the entirety that Overwatch 1 was out in real time of that Overwatch never actually existed mm -hmm. the organization it was Dunzo by the time the game started in the timeline and by the time it finished it was like a ragtag team maybe but nothing officially overwatch until overwatch 2 started calling the game overwatch is even like a bit weird in retrospect because it didn't exist <laughs> yeah the the pve content is delayed until next year honestly that's what I'm most interested in, they did these events in mm -hmm. Overwatch 1 called Archives, and you'd explore, like, Overwatch's history with all these different missions. Yeah, and they're making an entire mode around that. I always found it weird that they just didn't do that to begin with. I want to be positive, look for a silver lining, but this really is nothing new. It feels very corporate, the decision to make this. The changes are so minimal. Anything that I considered a big update personally was just stuff that I had updated while I wasn't playing anyway. And the new system with the battle pass instead of loot boxes, I, yeah, I see why people miss the loot boxes. Really? Yeah. I hated the loot boxes. Like the loot boxes are why I could never keep my attention on Overwatch for long periods of time because I was playing for hours a night to lock one unlock one loot box and then it's just filled with stuff that i was never going to use i just i got really disenchanted with it <laughs> well now imagine playing all night to get one voice line one spray and that's it yeah but i'm still working towards a tangible goal further down the line on the battle pass chart even if I don't get there yet, you know, I can see my progress towards a reward I do want and will use. With a loot box, it's just random. Yeah, I guess the randomness of it, because it was random, you got more stuff. Like, every loot box had four things in it. And there might be things for characters you don't play, whatever. That still, to me, feels a lot better than the really slow progress of this battle pass the challenges that kind of force you to play incorrectly or inefficiently. And this is a team-based game. You you do that. Your whole team suffers. It's not just your performance that suffers. 
that affects the entire team. Things like get this many headshots with Hanzo, and it's like, but I don't know how to play yeah. Hanzo. I don't, I don't know if that's a challenge, but it's that kind of challenge, though. There, there are a lot of those kinds of challenges in there. I figured there would be like daily quests, you know, like play as Jesse, whatever his new name is, uh, a Paul certain Cassidy. number of times. In- Cassidy in a new match. I figured there would be quests like that. I didn't realize they were going to get that specific. It's like, <laughs> go snipe, you person who can't snipe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of them are broad, like play in this mode or play an unranked match and stuff like that. But Can you do the challenges in the arcade or do you have to do them in the ranked mode? Well, that's the interesting thing because the arcade, the, the mode that I played the most was Mystery Heroes. And that's considered uh-huh. just, it's not a, an arcade game type anymore it's a unranked game type it's in the same one as roll cube and un, um, unrestricted roles i think having challenges like that regardless they're good i think it works for fortnite because you still make significant progress even if you don't do the challenges and fortnite you can solo queue too so you're not hurting anybody but yourself when you uh pursue those challenges yeah and do them badly yeah, I've, I've been wanting to kind of like find some fun in this. A little bit of the nostalgia's come back, but unfortunately, a game like this where winning isn't, you, you can't really carry a team the same way in Overwatch as you can in other games, I don't think. It kind of brings out a really competitive side to me. And I've talked to a lot of friends about this. It's the same for them. It just gets you riled up because you're playing the best that you can, but you're still losing. And that's a really frustrating feeling. Like, when we play Fortnite, when you play poorly, you die. And then you go into another match. In Overwatch, if you're doing poorly, you just have to stick it out. <laughs> it's not fun. Yeah, I remember why I stopped playing this game. It's not just because my friends stopped playing. It's because we all just got really bitter about team performance and got really focused on winning and stopped enjoying like the the moment-to-moment gameplay i I don't like what this game does to me so i've already stopped playing i'm glad i tried it because there's always that voice in the back of my mind going you should play overwatch again so i did and i found that uh no i shouldn't (laughs) so i'm done with it jerk voice in my head (laughs) what was your experience like with the security Getting logged into the game, though, because like I was going to play, too. I didn't play it to the extent that you did, but I have played for stints on, on PS4 and on Switch, and I was going to check this out because it, it made a lot of changes that I, quite frankly, wanted from the game from the very start, especially a battle pass instead of loot boxes. You have to register, or at least at one point, you had to register a phone number to get logged in, and you had to use uh, SMS to get logged in you couldn't just use blizzard's old uh, two-factor authentication system to get logged in they wouldn't accept my phone number because i use a pay-as-you-go cell phone service because i'm cheap and because i hate cell phones and i refuse to sign up for an expensive service plan (laughs) so i was just like oh okay never mind then i haven't regretted it for a moment that i haven't been able to play did you have any problems accessing it no um i I think i already had a phone number on my account uh the only issue i had was the account merging Mm -hmm. because uh attaching my nintendo account to my old blizzard account 
I, I had to do that for the first time. And that apparently caused issues where it had this thing where on the main menu, it says that certain features are locked until this account, account migration is done. And it would just keep resetting my place in the queue instead of actually doing it. Um, and I thought, okay, well, while I wait, I'll just play a match. And it just kept kicking me out. So that wasn't fun. Yeah, that was the only real, you know, technical issue that I had with it. And you kept all your unlocks that you had from before? Yeah, they all rolled over, but you can see a significant difference in quality between the Overwatch 1 and 2 skins. Like in terms of like design quality or fidelity? Both. Hmm. Uh, a friend and I, who are both, you know, old school Overwatch fans, went through like all of the differences between the base Overwatch 1 and 2 uh, skins. And we found that we didn't like a lot of the Overwatch 2 skins because it just changed what made these characters identifiable easily, like changing the silhouettes and changing... Hmm. Like, Junkrat looks really boring now. Junkrat in Overwatch 1 looked like a, a character. Like, you got a really good feel for him. Um, he's basically a hunchback. He's a hunchback, but, you know, he's jittery and covered in soot and explosions and missing a leg and you know you get a good feeling for his personality by looking at him and in overwatch 2 i don't know just something about like he's wearing pants instead of shorts now his hair <laughs> is less because his hair in overwatch 1 looked like a sort of flame and in overwatch 2 they gave him goggles so it's just like shorter hair uh roadhog you know he's known for that big top knot that he had and even in his like alternate skins, he retained that. Uh, and in Overwatch 2, they just gave him a mohawk and it doesn't go nearly as high. So it just feels wrong. But my least favorite one uh, change is they gave Zarya a ponytail. Oh no. Yeah. it uh, Don't like it. It's disappointing, really. Uh, some of them barely have changed, like Farah, who was my main character. But yeah, you can also see like the differences in um, poly count and texture quality between one and two. It's from a game design perspective, it's fun to go through and like spot the differences. But also, I feel like the I don't know if the team that designed the the characters in Overwatch One helped design the ones in Overwatch Two, but a lot of them just don't work for me. Even like a lot of composition. I'm I'm talking like art talk now. Doomfist is okay because it keeps like he's got the same blotches of color in the same places so he's still identifiable but uh, a lot of characters have the color replaced with just gray. Tracer had some minor changes. You know how she's got those things on her forearms where her guns go? Like the fins? Yes. Yeah. I, I can never really tell what they were supposed to be. I think they're like where the guns go to like when she's like mm. bolstering them. Anyway, they're almost gone on the new model. And they were a huge part of, you know, giving that silhouette to her. It, it'd take forever for me to go through every single character and give examples. The, the, the major thing is that they've just replaced a lot of colors with gray. And it's just disappointing. Like Soldier 76 was really identifiable because he had a lot of like strong blues on him. Now it's just black and gray. I do like how they gave him a visor instead of the entire face mask so you can see more of his face now. I did like that update. 
Yeah, I don't mind that. I, I, I'm guessing it's just going to be like a personal taste thing. I mean, the majority of the skins in the game, you, you'd think that with a game called Overwatch 2, at launch, it would have just as much content as the original. But I would say that 70 to 80% of the content in the game as is, is Overwatch 1. And I'm, I think I'm even probably being generous. I think not even all the characters got an Overwatch 2 skin off the top of my head. I think there's like maybe 10 to 20 new skins, like Overwatch 2 skins for characters. As for characters, there was, I guess, I'm guessing 32 in Overwatch 1 when it ended. And now there's 35. Mm. So that's like 10% more characters. And I get that, you know, in a game like this, this large, adding new characters is really hard for balancing. But at the same time, when you put, when you're slapping a two on it, you're setting certain expectations and they fall drastically short of those expectations. My first match was on King's Row. Not my favorite map. No, but also how many times have I played on that? You know, I've played for 500 (laughs) hours. And my first match is old content. It really feels like I'm really glad that I didn't pay for this. <laughs> anyway, I'll stop complaining about Overwatch 2. Uh, if you enjoyed Overwatch 1, it's the same. It's a new game client, I guess. I mean, to the point where it had the same icon for Overwatch 1 until I restarted my Switch. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm unimpressed. You're... Mileage might vary, but from what I'm reading on Twitter, I don't think so. Twitter is not the best place to go for reasoned opinions. True. It's a good litmus test. Don't listen to the extremist end of gaming opinions. Just like the vibe. (laughs) All right, and you've also been playing Nier Automata, so why don't you tell us about that one? Is it the latest Miracle Port? I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, you played it on other platforms. I know you played it on PC, which was not a good port, apparently. But have you played it on Xbox or PlayStation? I played, like, maybe the first 10 minutes on Xbox just because it was on Game Pass. Okay. Okay. PC, I got pretty far in it. Port is just not great, and I had to play with a lot of mods. That's why I was really worried about this uh, Switch port, because if it can barely run on a, I wouldn't say high-end PC, but, you know, a fairly solid rig then how would they get it running on Switch? But they've done it. It's not the best port ever, but it's far from the worst. Mm -hmm. 30 frames per second, most of the time. (laughs) That's really the main issue. Visually, I don't think... If you were to just show me a screenshot from the Switch version, I think I would have a hard time telling you what platform it's on. But that's not just because the Switch version looks really great. It's also because other console versions don't run great. (laughs) The disparity is not that different. Uh, It's really just frame rate. Uh, Some pop-in issues at times, I guess. But from what I've seen, I watched the Digital Foundry video on it. It's only slightly worse than playing it on console. (laughs) It is a very, very, very passable port of a very hectic and fast-paced game. Like with uh, Doom and Doom Eternal, the frame rate was 30, but the 
the tick rate or, you know, how fast stuff updates on the code side was still happening 60 times per second. So it hmm. felt fluid, even though visually it technically wasn't. I feel like something else like that is going on with near uh, Automata where I forget that it's 30 frames per second because it doesn't feel like 30 frames per second. For those that don't know, it's kind of like a hack and slash game. It's a Platinum Games game. <laughs> so if you played... And not one of their live service games. Yeah. <laughs> That's Square Enix's fault. We we shouldn't hold Platinum Games' feet to the fire for that. That was just, that was Square Enix that made them do that. So let's just give Platinum a break. But <laughs> Well, for a bit. Until yeah. next Anyway, um, <laughs> but I, I've always called this the horny robot game. What is this game actually about? Because like once I found out the main character is named to be as in to be or not to be, I was just, I was so irritated. I just like lost all interest in even playing the game. What's it about? I believe this is a, a Yoko Taro game. And yes, he's... the man who wears a mask in place of having a personality. Yeah. Um, he's one of those game developers that just makes games that he would want to play. Uh, he's not so much concerned about how easy or intuitive it is to play or if the plot makes sense or if the characters, whatever. He just makes games for himself and lets everyone else play them, um, much like uh, Hideo Kojima. Hideo Kojima or Hideki Kamiya? Honestly, both. Okay. <laughs> you ask me what it's about, but I can't honestly tell you yet because I don't know. From what I can gather, Earth is has been destroyed. Humans are living on the moon and machines have taken over the surface. They have these humanoid androids like 2B who run like military operations to try and, you know, deal with everything on Earth. That's as far as I can really tell you. There's this organization on a space station that kind of overwatches everything, and that's where command is. It looks like it's exploring the idea of what makes humans human. As in to be or not to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really just giving world building, but not really in a plot way, just more in a this is the world that we're in and you figure it out. You uh you meet up with the resistance camp fairly early on. I mean, in the entire first mission is actually it's like half bullet hell, half hack and slash. There's a lot of yeah. bullet hell elements to this, and those are like shmup sequences too. It's not mm. just like dodging, right? Because I know this has a lot of different. Well, maybe not a lot, but it has a few different gameplay styles depending upon where you're at. Yeah. The opening sequence is a top-down... It kind of feels like 1942, in a way. Ew. Okay. But it's more of a twin stick, I guess. It's just that top-down, mm. moving along water, but you can move... It, yeah, twin stick shooter. That's that's probably a, a more accurate descriptor. And then that changes perspective, where it's it, it tilts down 90 degrees, so you, you, know, you can see towards your target. Like, your, your character moves on a different plane at that point and then you land looking for a giant robot and you discover that the factory that you're exploring is the giant robot and then you fight the giant robot and it doesn't work 
well, it doesn't go to plan. You kill it, but then there's like three more giant robots. So you just decide to self-destruct. <laughs> and then the real game begins. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's really spoilers. It, it It is like a good hour or two of the intro, but it really just feels like an extended tutorial sequence because your androids, when you die, you just kind of upload your uh, consciousness to a proxy on the space station and then back down again. It's mm. it's just very flippant about that. Like the enemies are these machines and they just have giant balls for heads. There's like two little bug eyes on them. But some of them are good and you can talk to them and they have desires and dreams and personalities. You can get a, a sense of what the themes are for the game, but I, I couldn't tell you. I'm not smart enough to really tell you what they are. I... I I get a feel for it. It really does feel like it's exploring themes of humanity or at least self-awareness and sentience. I don't know if I've really played enough of the game to, to tell you what it's saying about them other than those things exist in the game. Uh, it is fascinating though, the way it's all presented. The movement and the combat feels really fluid where it's just, you can kind of string together combos. You've got your, your light attack, your heavy attack and dodge. But also you have this little guy called a pod that can shoot targets wherever the camera is aiming. So that's just like supplemental damage. And the way that you upgrade like abilities and stuff is through this chip system where you have a certain amount of memory in your Android or 2B and different chips and upgrades and abilities and stuff takes different amounts of that memory. See that in a lot of games where you have a robot to control where <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that the um the menus in this all look like a really old L C D panel. You know the mm -hmm. ones where it's got that sort of greenish grey background and then yeah. the L C D like the, the segmented displays, but not like the clock segmented displays, but just like that there's certain areas of the screen that light up. Does it have like a DOS prompt? I wouldn't say a DOS prompt. The memory management screen kind of reminds me of like when you had to defragment hard drives, where it had like the mm. different colors for different segments and stuff, which are more like different shades of gray on here. I feel like the game's going to get meta. The character 9S, which is kind of like your sidekick throughout the game, he walks you through the menu tutorial as if uh, he's actually talking to to be and one is he even brings you to the settings menu to turn off a turn on a um, self-destruct setting <laughs> so <laughs> that felt like a, a good indicator that things are going to get they're going to circle back on themselves because i'm told that this is a game that you have to play multiple times to really get the full effect of yeah, that was um, one reason I haven't rushed to play it because, like, yeah, I could play it once. I could get the first ending, and like, you know, I could call that beaten. But for everything I've heard about this game, it makes me feel like that's not really getting the full picture, and I will have to beat it multiple times uh, in order to, you know, really feel like I've gotten the full experience. And related to that is it's kind of an open world game it's totally an open world game i don't know uh, this was news to me i just found this out a couple months ago that this game is open world to a certain extent which really 
took the wind out of my sails as far as wanting to play this because i don't know the um amount of the map that i've explored so far it doesn't feel open world in the traditional sense it feels like an open world in a zelda game sense and not breath of the wild i mean like twilight princess Mm, okay so like smaller open areas but not totally open world yeah and there is a fast travel function as well that you unlock in the first couple hours yeah, if it's got fast travel that's probably open world enough for me but it's just I'm, I'm deliberately waiting to play this until after i play through bayonetta 3 just so i can give it as much attention as it probably mm. is going to need I don't uh, know if the multiple playthrough thing is going to be like Undertale, where it's like there are different ways to play through the game, or if it's going to be like a, you unlock a different character that you can play as, or I don't know. I, I, I've gone in blind. From what I understand, it's more like Resident Evil, where like Resident Evil 2 with the A and B campaigns. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, like you play through it with your with 2B and then you play as another character and you see the story from their perspective and it changes things and like I don't know exactly how it works but my understanding is that's more how the the structure is working yeah we'll see how I, I go I, I'm I think I've unlocked too many side quests and I'm getting choice paralysis <laughs> this sounds like an open world game to me <laughs> yeah that part definitely side quests oh man and it feels like a game that I don't want to skimp on side quests for. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I am liking it. It plays great on Switch. I've been mostly playing handheld because I like watching like TV or a movie while I play certain games uh, and just pausing it when there's dialogue heavy portions. It is, I, I wouldn't say it's dialogue heavy so far. There's a lot of talking, but a lot of it isn't really plot. saying anything. Yeah, it's just <laughs> kind of just commenting on the stuff that's happening. 9S is just always, it, it almost sounds like um, racism, to be honest, because he's an android and he keeps on saying, oh, don't listen to the machines. It's just random words. And they're saying stuff like kill, die, please spare me and stuff like that. And it's just like, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> if you've been waiting to to play it on switch this is a very solid port and i can only imagine get, getting better if they update it we'll see because i don't think they really updated the other versions all that often so but as is i'd say go for it um if you've got it on other platforms i don't think there's anything really new i think there's a couple of costumes but i don't think there's any new significant content but yeah, it's it, it's a lot of fun to play, a lot of fun to explore. It really is just the gameplay for me so far. It feels really nice to just run around and attack things, and it also looks cool. So, uh, Sylvie, uh, do you have any plans for anything you're playing in the coming week? Yeah, I'm uh, still playing Splatoon 3 to finish that catalogue, playing Fortnite to finish that battle pass but also near autom automata i keep switching between automata and automata <laughs> <laughs> well and i will have finally wrapped up bayonetta one and two next week so uh we'll have a nice long discussion about that one i think uh with rosalie here to join us because there's been a recent development in industry news that's related to bayonetta that i'm sure she will have 
uh, important things to say. So tune in for that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X. Also be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. You can find the links for all of these in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both of these are on our website. Thank you in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him on Twitter at PlayCritically. Also check out his long-form reviews at PlayCritically.com. You can follow myself on Twitter at Stew2STWTWO or on Twitch.tv forward slash SylvieTory. And also follow our regular co-host, Rosalie, at Lil Record Girl on Twitter.